Hello everyone, this is Maz. If you're hearing this message, it means you're not part of the Voices of War subscriber community and will only hear the first half of the episode. If that's enough, then I'm thrilled. However, if you're looking to dive deeper into the complexities of war, please consider subscribing to our private feed by using the link at the top of the show notes. By doing so, you'll gain access to all of our episodes, the ability to ask follow-up questions, and we'll become part of an exclusive community that makes this show possible. I hope you'll make the decision to join us today. GPT is not just a cultural phenomenon. That new generation of LLM, large language model, is also a technical breakthrough. And it's not, so it's not all just hype. The AI researchers were telling me they never thought they would see these sorts of things happen in their lifetime. I think it's very easy for people to begin to think that there is some kind of sentience surely lurking somewhere in that model, peering back at you. And there, there, there really, really is not. Like there really isn't, yet. Probably the most important power dynamic of all is a relationship between AI and governments and governance. So around the rules that we set for it, how it should be developed, how it should be used, how it should behave. It will be our fault if these things, you know, start causing harm, you know, start making millions of paper clips and killing everyone that gets in the way. My guest today is Carl Miller. Carl is the research director of the Center for the Analysis of Social Media at Demos, a UK-based think tank. He's also the author of the critically acclaimed book, The Death of the Gods, The New Global Power Grab, published in 2018, which delves into the seismic shifts in power dynamics brought about by the digital age. Carl also presents programs for the BBC's flagship technology show, Click, hosts insightful conversations on the popular Intelligence Squared podcast, and has written for Wired, New Scientist, The Sunday Times, The Telegraph, in The Guardian. This is Carl's second appearance on the show. Last time was on episode 51, where we discussed information warfare, cyber attacks, and weaponization of social media, with a particular focus on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Today, Carl joins me to explore the ethical, social, and political implications of the ongoing boom in artificial intelligence, and how it's reshaping the very fabric of our world. Carl, welcome back to The Voices of War. Uh, thanks so much for having me back. And 100 episodes, what a milestone for you and all your lucky listeners. Yeah, so and uh, yeah, and thank you for uh, being episode 100. So uh, 51 and then, uh, well, nearly doubled it again into 100. So uh, might thank have to be 150 much. as well. <laughs> might have to have you back. So just before we get to the exciting topic of uh, AI, uh, there might be some listeners who uh, might not have come across your work previously. So maybe you can give us a, a little bit about your background uh, both as an author and researcher, and tell us a little bit, little bit about the work uh, you've been involved in, uh, and also, perhaps most importantly, what you've been up to of late. Sure. So, um, so I'm a think tanker by background, really. Um, uh, and um, in, in Demos, which is a kind of traditionally associated with the centre-left in the UK, um, it's kind of enduringly interested in powerful citizens and how power works and how to make politics more porous and accountable to the people mm. whose lives it shapes. Um, and that's where I joined as a kind of young researcher many, many years ago now. And I kind of fairly quickly into that career, kind of realised how important the digital world was going to be, both as a kind of landscape for public policy making, but also as an amazing opportunity to actually research people. Mm. I know all of that sounds unbelievably obvious now, but back in 2012, mm. it was 2011, 
2010 even I think it was kind of even a bit little bit less so so me and a colleague founded Chasm the Center for the Analysis of Social Media there um, and uh, and the rest is history as they say really so kind of Chasm began to grow we began to really focus on research methods as well um, began to build technology to actually research social media and that became Chasm Technology which is a kind of standalone tech mm. organization that I'm one of the founders of um, and a few years after that, you know, we'd be doing lots of analysis and lots of measurements, very quantitative ways of trying to understand the digital world. It's quite necessary often to do that just because the digital environment mm. is massive, mm, you know. Mm. I became more interested in kind of also understanding human stories. So I wrote a book about power. That was very driven, really, much less by numbers and more, much more by humans. And since then, I've kind of had one foot in both worlds. So still do lots of kind of more formal data-driven kind of uh, projects measuring the digital world, but then also spend a lot of my time making podcasts and writing articles and doing more journalistic work and kind of trying to weave both of those two things together. Um, mm. Largely investigating, I think, kind of the mysteries of the digital age creates, really. That's what I'm fascinated by. So that might be kind of influence operations and disinformation and many things that I know we spoke about last time mm, um, yeah. it might be actually just um, I, I'm, I, I'm constantly interested in the idea of power uh, actually and how our lives are shaped and who does that shaping and how and why uh, and uh, and with that in mind I've just come back from a kind of similar journey trying to understand how power's shifting in the age of AI and that's going to be a mm. podcast Intelligence Squared um, uh, in less than a month it's going to come out now oh right okay great Great. Well, I'll uh, I'll subsequently put the link to to that once it's once it's out uh, onto this episode as well because I think that would be fantastic. I think in the before we started, you mentioned it was going to be six episodes. I think. Yeah, it's going to be a narrative series. So it's uh, I'm I'm your trusty uh, kind of guide, and I kind of take you on a a journey, kind of beginning with very narrow questions to do with power. So that's to do with power over the tech itself what the tech actually is itself where it's come from what it can do uh and then we kind of expand the lens out subsequently so we look at um uh we look at the workforce uh we look at society we look at um how power is changing within culture within geopolitics relationships between global north and south and then expanding even further actually answer that question that I, I never, you know, I mean, it, it, it is scarcely credible to even think that we're seriously considering, but really questions around humanity and mm. and whether, you know, we are going to remain in the driving seat of our own destiny as a civilization, as a species. Mm. I mean, these are real risks. And for some, it might be, uh, they might seem rather esoteric, but uh, yeah. I think more and more people are starting to really take this very, very seriously. Uh, not least because we've, I think, globally witnessed the power of, this so-called AI, especially yeah. post ChatGPT coming out, I think that's kind of been the, at least in my view, the kind of cultural catalyst uh, to where this might go and how quickly uh, it's uh, it's developing. Uh, but maybe we can uh, firstly start about this idea of power. I'd like to right. see how you define power through your lens, but also what that means in a digital domain. So, what is digital power, and 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 who has it, or who, or, or what is the cost? Uh, of others not having it, right? Given the almost ubiquitous nature of technology and the digital media. Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, say so power is both a very important idea, but also quite a slippery one. Mm. Uh, and uh, as, as kind of authors have always turned to it at, at moments of kind of great revolutionary change, um, I think 
rightly and understandably to basically try and ask the kind of deepest and most important questions about what that change actually is and what it's doing. Um, but in doing so, of course, they, they've always come with with slightly different ideas of what power is and where it sits. You know, like Marx would would say that that power is control over the commanding heights of the economy and mm. and of capital. Um, whereas someone like Foucault was much more interested in kind of peering into the hidden um, influences of language and the operations mm, of power yeah. there. Um, go to Machiavelli and it's uh, power is simply politics and, mm. and holding kind of uh, uh, political office is power or the only power really worth having. So they've, they've kind of all got different ideas. Mm. Um, and of course, even defining power is itself an act of power. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It, it, yeah, which is why I kind of wanted to ask that question because I think the Mine, definition yeah. matters and, and it is. it also dictates the terms uh, under which we actually discuss it. Uh, so yeah, It is, absolutely. definitions do matter and being clear on, on, on what power is is extremely important. Um, for me, power is simply the ability to shape the world and the lives within it. Mm, okay. um, and uh, that can take kind of a, a vast array, of course, of different forms. Um, and it doesn't make sense to me to kind of really rule out or eliminate the different forms that power can take. So it can be everything from very coercive forms of power, of force and of threat, mm, mm. Um, all the way through to kind of economic power. So incentives uh, and, um, and inducements, mm, uh, mm. money, wealth. Uh, through to probably the, the 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 power that you see um, abroad in the world most often, but is is often kind of the hardest to actually see, and that's the power of kind of persuasion and of ideas. Um, mm. And it, power ranges across all of those things, but be ultimately, I always see it as the ability for you to reach into my life, me into yours, and for us to kind of and all of us really to kind of shape the world that we live in. Mm. Um, and and of course that what that is and who has it is, I I contend really kind of ch changing radically right now, mm, and that it's kind mm. of worth just like Foucault and Marx and all these others did, you know, sitting in their own moments of great change. It's really worth us looking at it again now, um, as uh, it really feels like our own society is being reshaped, as you say, in this kind of early months of the kind of post GPT age. Mm. Yeah, and I really like that definition because it really kind of nests well with how I view power. And and, and you know, it's it, if you know, person A has power, with person B if they can shape their behavior. And when we're talking about AI, this is where it becomes really, really important because who then to come back to that kind of question that I originally asked, and who owns, I guess, the AI, or who who holds the levers uh, of power when we're talking about AI. Well, what a great question. And that, that is literally what those six whole episodes are trying to uh, unentangle. I mean, to to kind of shortcut some of that journey, um, I mean, it, it, it's obviously clear that power like doesn't exist in like in, in linear or unidirectional ways anymore. Mm. And like one of the things I really came back um, uh, kind of really kind of struck by was how anyone kind of warning about the risks and the concentrations and kind of hidden forms of oppression would also then in the same breath talk about the amazing new liberatory mm. opportunities and vice versa. Um, and it, it seems like two, two things I think seem clear. One is that right now, um, the way that especially large language models work and these generative models, which is what obviously everyone is talking about mm. and thinking about, GPT and all the others, um, they benefit from scale in a very important way. 
So the actual underlying approaches to developing these models haven't really changed much in the last few decades. So the actual thinking about how machine learning works, how artificial intelligence actually should be built, has remained remarkably stable. What has changed is the levels of data and compute power which has been put into training these models. Mm. And really, when that data kind of increased and increased and increased, it kind of unleashed... Well, what one foundational model developer described to me is kind of like, it's like looking inside the mind of an alien. Right. Um, he said it's like, you know, we're in a kind of alchemical stage of really understanding what those models can do. But it kind of took off in an exponential way, the performance, which mm. really no one expected. So... It's, that's the scary think, part. <laughs> it's scary, <laughs> yeah. Scary. It's scary, but 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 it, and in more ways than one, really, because because I I think what that firstly means is that look, lots of people will build foundation models. Lots of people will will have their own LLMs, I'm sure. But it, it it's likely that a small number of extremely large companies will continue to break the frontiers, mm. and they will at the moment they're exclusively positioned in Silicon Valley, mm. Mm. which has mm. always been. The, the place in the world that's been best able to um, accumulate and marshal huge amounts of money, huge amounts of compute power, huge amounts of data and all the talent. You know, that's an old story and yeah. AI is just a new chapter in that. But on the other hand, so that's one direction of power, you know, like the data and the money and the control yeah. is still flowing into a small number of people, small number of founders, small, small one, one place in the world. Um, and maybe that'll continue. Um but on the other hand, I think what's also true is two other things. Um, one, these tools are much more general than other iterations of machine learning. So whereas in previous kind of generations, um, you've got a model or some kind of application which has been trained for a really specific purpose, like mm. it plays chess or yeah. it predicts a certain thing. And that obviously that training and that use case is set by the uh, the 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 engineering monoculture that builds these things and has largely then obviously reflected the concerns or interests of that particular community. But with GPT and these other models, they're far more general because yeah. they've been stuck with basically the as basically the whole of human culture yeah. at this point. Um, they, they 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 can do things and they can be put to uses that actually the people that built them had no idea about or couldn't even imagine and that we couldn't imagine. So I remember speaking to uh, one of the chapters is, is, is uh, I, I speak to uh, Jibu, who is a, um, a kind of one of the uh, kind of visionaries, I, I suppose, of, of Indy's use of AI. And he was taking me through all these use cases that, that really you just, I just couldn't imagine, you know, that they're using these models to translate loads of difficult, impenetrable government documents about access to agrarian subsidies and, and translate <laughs> that into, you know, spoken things for like, you know, um, subsistence farmers. And you're like, that's amazing. Mm. Um, and as long as the models remain general in that way, and as, all, as long as they remain um, uh, freely accessible, um, then we're going to see both at the same time. We're both going to see um, them being put to uses which are genuinely um, kind of uh, uh, kind of liberating and, and empowering people that actually don't have much power and haven't really been part of other tech revolutions up to this point. But then also, you know, you can I could also see a world where that's happening at the same time as actually these super centralized models remain really centralized. Mm. Okay, so so you mentioned that if I understand correctly. The kind of first iteration is the kind of narrow AI. So that's kind of your your the very specific, uh, like the chess 
uh, game or even something like Siri, which is rather limited in its application. It's you know it's got a very clear left and right, uh, yeah. and you can't Those create the previous or, generations. Yeah, yeah, it can't can't generate knowledge or can't generate mm-hmm. ideas, which I think is the the leap of ChatGPT or the LLMs that we're talking about now, where they can actually create knowledge, knowledge that humanity perhaps you know it, it, it can it can it can com- combine concepts into new ideas and knowledge but it's not it, we call that uh, a general artificial intelligence is that what that's now reached is that the point well so that's a, that's a that's a very good question and there's obviously uh, there's there's lots of debate around this uh, the idea of AGIs or artificial mm-hmm. general intelligence yeah. yes yeah. um like I, I think and the engineers like prefer to actually talk about strong AI, which is a kind of right. slightly different concept, but but along the same lines, you know, do you have something which actually is general? And I think the answer is no, not yet. Um these these models aren't able to I mean the the one example given, they can't, you know, uh, they might be able to drive a car and they might be able to talk to you, but they can't do all the things a human being can do or or even approximately. Um, mm. but we're we're moving in that direction. I think the kind of one of the very surprising kind of i mean gpt is not just a cultural phenomenon like that 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 new generation of llm large language model is also a technical breakthrough mm, is it yeah. and, and it's not so it's not all just hype like the, yeah. the 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 ai researchers were telling me they never thought they would see these sorts of things happen in their lifetime um, yeah. and i think like it, it, it moving closer to becoming more general is one of the, those surprising directions of travel you know that 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 you can ask it to talk to you like a pirate that's lost its keys and it will give mm. you a good go. Or you can ask it to write code, it will give it a good go. It, it's kind of like the... And that means that it will just connect into like all the millions and millions of different ideas and use cases that people have around the world that the developers themselves could not, could scarcely have imagined, will not have been able to imagine. Yeah. And that has serious liber- liberatory potential because you can have tools that... That 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 it it doesn't matter that a small community in Silicon Valley don't necessarily can't necessarily have imagined like what what the thing is supposed to do. It, like the what's important is that it can connect into the imaginations of millions of other people yeah, yeah. as well. You know, at that at the same time and, and create value for them. But I guess the risk is that, yeah. well, the fact that even the AI engineers were surprised by what by the result you know by the product uh, and and also the if, if i understand correctly the the the, the difference between you know ChatGPT 2 3 3.54 is kind of exponential it's not linear it's you know the, the yeah, computing power exactly. is is absolutely enormously different so we can expect ChatGPT 5 you know to be exponentially better than ChatGPT yeah. 4 uh, and if they don't know i guess how it does what it does is that part of the concern? Is that is that what's um, pushing this? Uh, you know, even people like Musk and so on who are talking about uh, you know having a pause on AI uh, development. Is this part of the concern that we just we just don't know what's happening inside the machine, especially since there is no there there right? There is no <laughs> uh, there's no being as such. Uh, as much as you know, I even catch myself uh, thanking ChatGPT. <laughs> for, yeah, you know, I know. Give, you, you do that, don't you? Because there's an intuitive no response. Human. Yeah, it's a really and I, and I chuckle at myself, uh, and it responds. You're welcome. <laughs> so, you know, even though I know there is no there there, right? I'm talking to a, a a large language model that is 
you know, using data, as you described, to give me something that's human-like, but is not human. Yeah, and I, I and I, I think, yeah, so so what a great question, Mads. Yeah, let, let's, I think, let, let's begin with where we are right now, and then, mm. then let's talk about exponential growth. Um, so I, th I think it's important to, to, to say that these models currently are much better at seeming like they are intelligent human than actually being so. Hmm. So, I mean, the best way of understanding them is like they're sophisticated autocomplete. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they, have, they are unbelievably good at sounding human-like human, human -like because they have swallowed up basically everything we've ever produced. And they, they've kind of learned, you know, just through this kind of raw statistical inference that, that when you say thanks very much, they, you know, they, the, normally the response is that's fine. You know, no problem. You're welcome. Um, but like, so, so when you chat to it, it, it feels so human hmm. that... That, that I think it's very easy for people to begin to think that there is some kind of sentience mm. surely lurking somewhere in that model, peering back at you. And there, there, there really, really is not. Mm. Like, there really isn't yet. Mm. Um, yet, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, but then, so then, mm. then we get onto exponential growth. And I, mm. I, I think, yes, like exponentials work in very, very different ways to linear development. Mm. And I think for the, for the, 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 the concern I hear from engineers is really about that exponential um, uh, development. And the, the kind of, it, what it really means is that it's, it's becoming very hard for us to be confident about even the kind of midterm future we might be in. Um, it's it kind of, mm. our horizons are drawing back, if you mm, will, like, mm, mm, mm. The, like, especially as this collides with like a series of other like mega trends, like, you know, quantum computing. And, mm. you know, I mean, it's, it's not the only huge technical thing currently happening, but there's a series of these things that are kind of bouncing off each other. And that means that like what our kind of world and these models look like, well, the next generation of models in six months or a year or two years is becoming very mysterious and, and very, very hard to know what, what things are going to look like in say five years time. Mm. Hey there, sorry to interrupt, but if you're finding this conversation as fascinating as I am, you won't want to miss the second half of the chat, available exclusively to our subscribers. In the second half, Carl dives into some of the darker ethical concerns surrounding AI, including its potential for social harm in polarized societies. We also discuss a real-world case study involving deepfake technology. And if you're looking for a glimmer of hope, Carl also shares some truly inspiring stories from India, where AI is being used to empower the marginalized and bridge the digital divide. So if you're not a subscriber yet, now's the perfect time to join us. Click the link at the top of the show notes to gain access to the full episode and unlock a wealth of insights into the future of AI ethics and governance. Okay, back to Carl now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the concern there is really, and this is the other big power dynamic, and probably the most important power dynamic of all, is the relationship between AI and governments and mm -hmm. governance. So around the rules that we set for it, how it should be developed, how it should be used, how it should behave. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the real concern is like, can we do the squishy human art of consensus forming and institution building and, and basically trying to find like ways of beginning to kind of create kind of democratic and, and, and genuinely credible signals and rules to suddenly start shaping this. I think mm. the concern is that on the one hand, you've got a kind of exponential growth curve in in the power of the technology and therefore its potential to both do great good and, and, and great harm. 
we, when, we, we're never going to exponentially become faster at, at building consensus around AI governance. Mm. Um, mm. And well, I we're going to human it. <laughs> yeah, that's, so it's, that's always been, you know, yeah. that's always been something which isn't even linear. We go back, mm. we go forward. You yeah. know, politics doesn't doesn't work like tech, um, and and I think that's the concern. And that's actually another project uh, I'm currently doing is is to try and build new ways of creating democratic signals for AI governance, and to try to do that in ways which are as broad based and diversely sourced and as fast as we can. Right. That's and that's uh, if I understand correctly, that's the recursive republic uh, project. Uh, recursive public, yeah. So it's yeah. a. It's a it's an open AI funded project, uh-huh. uh, and the the idea there is to is to basically try. Well, there's there's ten different teams around the world, um, and everyone's pursuing their own idea about how to basically source democratic signals for AI governance, mm-hmm. um, especially by using AI. So so almost all the teams are using different forms of artificial intelligence themselves to try and create these signals, um, and the idea is to try and create something as as kind of rapidly developing as we possibly can and then begin to actually practically use that, hopefully, to begin to guide the development of of AI models, whether that's open AIs or others. So, so how, how, how do you mean? Maybe maybe develop that a little bit more because if I understand correctly, it was also, it, it's, it's, it's a consensus uh, building, uh, or the intent is to build consensus using AI to, I yeah. guess, uh, promote um, areas of, common ground as opposed to what we've come to know of social media i.e promote uh, the uh, points of uh, difference in other words yeah. growing our division uh, and, and pushing it back pushing us back into our kind of uh, our echo chambers so i think yeah, this is I'm, if i understand is, is the reverse of that yeah yeah i mean i couldn't i couldn't have put it better myself exactly um well i, re- uh, I read so- your work that's why <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah so so this so so um uh, I, I am a, I am a super fan of the Digital Democrats in Taiwan, uh, mm. v Taiwan. Uh, I think they're the they're the most accomplished, most successful Digital Democrats in the world. Uh, I went over there to to do a short documentary with the BBC a couple of years ago, um, and uh, I, I've I've kind of they've they've basically built a kind of way of using kind of partly like mixed reality processes including digital debates to actually draft regulation and law yeah, um, yeah. and i don't think anywhere else in the world has, has really managed to do that yeah. um so this so for this project i i teamed up with chatham house and v taiwan the v taiwan community so it's a large kind of hacker community in taiwan and the idea has been and is now happening right now to um create a consensus-seeking online deliberation to set the agenda for AI governance that we will then pursue going forwards. It's happening on a platform called Polis. That's what they use in Taiwan as well. Colin, one of the founders of Polis, is is, is part of the kind of... uh, part of the kind of... um, uh, the kind of coalition of the willing that we put together for the project. Um, And and, and Polis is is really, really interesting um, exactly for the reason that you said. What it does is... You log onto this platform. You start. It asks you questions. You start drafting answers. You start drafting your own proposals. So so far, so social media. But um, it makes it draws up a kind of conversation space. Kind of so you know people that agree tend to be similar. People that disagree tend to be uh, tend to be further apart. Um, and and drawing that space up, you can kind of see different tribes that might be quite polarized. And it then starts making proposals more visible that get agreement 
spanning different important divisions mm. within the debate that so and that kind of gamifies consensus so what it does is it i mean and I th- in taiwan we, we've seen this happen time and time and time again you you begin with debates which are on uber or on online sales of alcohol or on um uh, uh on um uh, e-scooters um mm-hmm. they can begin like you know with two different groups quite entrenched disagreeing with each other and on social media all that disagreement is the stuff that you see and here it submerges all of that and it allows unseen consensus to float up instead. And it, it, it reveals, I think, like a reality, which is that actually, even on most topics with, with, with which we disagree with each other, we actually will tend to agree on quite a lot as well, usually more. But that's all kind of normally eclipsed. Mm. Um, so, so it's just kind of excavating hidden commonness commonalities that that human beings have often like mm, uber mm. everyone was basically concerned with rider safety and with and with driver safety and well that was that was sorted out actually regulation could work pretty well mm. um and so that's that that's our hope here so um uh is is to kind of bring what we've been trying to do is to bring in um, you know, all the different tribes in debates around AI governance, you know, the boosters and the gloomers and the tech bros and the uh, and the uh, AI governance think tank wonks and everyone else, bring them all into this polis environment. Uh, young people as well, hundreds and hundreds of young people we've we, we've we've been inducted into it too. Um, we in, and and uh, obviously uh, AI engineers as well. Mm. And then we've been running this kind of debate for about a month now. Um, where they're trying to, where where we're trying to find consensus items. Mm. Um, the next step, hopefully, is we'll then start posing to that community um, specific questions, which um, OpenAI themselves set. That's, uh, I mean, I've, I've logged on to Polis and I'm, 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 I've joined the research uh, since you shared uh, about it on LinkedIn, uh, and it's incredible because it, it, it it's rather easy and intuitive because the answers are very quick yes no yes no do you agree or disagree or don't know um and you know there's, there's if i understood correctly there's, there's, there's certainly more than 100 questions because you kind of keeps going and then it just charts you mm-hmm. uh, ever so gradually into a tribe as you said which is mm-hmm. i think is also uh, from a kind of user interface is, is actually quite interesting because it then helps you identify perhaps more clearly on a on a bigger chart that you really are part of a tribe, that there are certain biases, certain, uh, mm. you know, values, life orientation, personal history, etc., that is setting you towards a particular view on this particular issue. Uh, and I think that in itself, that that reflective piece or self-reflective piece is also, in my view at least, was was, was actually quite interesting to see, you know, and, and, and as I kept on answering more and more questions, I could see how I kind of moved ever so slightly kind of more towards the center of a particular tribe. Um, I think that's a that, that's a really, really useful tool. And I'd be actually keen to see then how that then unfolds uh, into building this, I guess, kind of consensus. Because it, in many ways, it does sound a little bit too good to be true because, you know, what we're doing, what it seems to me like we're doing is we're flipping very much that idea of the of power, right? Where in traditional social media, the power is in division uh, and in anger and in getting eyeballs on a device. 
because you know we're drawn to that. That's a yeah. as and I think you talked about this last time. It's a, it's part of our evolutionary byproduct is to be drawn to drama and danger and anger. Uh, whereas here, uh, the power is flipped very differently to finding consensus. I just wonder, are we drawn as much to that? Have you got any kind of a sense of whether people are getting as engaged or as uh, interested, or are these are all of these people, I guess, already interested? Uh, a selective group of people who are already interested in this problem uh, and trying to solve it. You know, and can we get, you know, can can we talk about uh, on this uh, about really really hot topics or really really polarizing topics like the mm-hmm. U.S. election or QAnon or uh, or the vaccines, COVID vaccine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you know, have you have you got any thoughts on that? I know it's early stages, but any any thoughts on that so far? Yeah, I mean, great questions, Maz. Um, I I think people. Firstly, I, I think people actually quite like being in a space which is less angry and less hostile uh, and where it feels like we're more part of like team humanity. Yeah. You're yeah. trying to come yeah. with a kind of um, There's a woman fuzzy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, I, and, and people, I, I think, um, I mean, have with, with, with nothing other than goodwill have joined. I mean, we've had uh, across the deliberations we've run and there's one in Taiwan happening at the same time. And that's going to be an interesting comparison. Right. Um We've had, you know, over a thousand people and tens and tens of thousands of votes. And that's on a pretty small kind of project team just trying to bootstrap this kind of initial kind of pilot as we go. Um, because I think people genuinely care about about uh, the answers that this creates and can see how it will affect their lives. Um, I think the, to me, the, the really big unanswered question is not finding consensus. I think already I can see in the debates, I mean, the, the, the it's, it's not polarized tribally but I, definitely we can see quadrants we can see some people more optimistic pessimistic it's definitely different emphases happening but i can already see tons of consensus coming out of this discussion i mean people kind of regardless like there's i think there's one statement which is the goal of ai is to build a super intelligence which is extremely divisive mm. everything else actually is like broadly consensual um and, you know, there's dozens of hyper-consensual statements that basically everyone agrees with coming out. So mm. I, I have, I've got no doubt that, that consensus uh, can't, can't be, can be um, identified. I think the big unanswered question is, can we connect this into power to actually make it meaningful, mm. as in it actually does stuff? As That's in really turn into policy in government. Yeah. yeah. In government, in in the tech companies themselves, yeah, in yeah. the decisions that developers might make, in the things that think tanks might raise, you know, and that's what we're kind of like really trying to work hard on and scratch our heads about now is how do we kind of um, how do we repay the time and investment that people will put into this kind of process, and that we're asking, you know, we're and that we're asking people to continue to do so. And by the way, anyone listening to this, get involved. We're, Google Recursive Public and, and jump in. Oh, I'll share go. the link for it. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, I'll be sharing the link for. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, how do we how do we actually turn that into like a meaningful outcome? So, uh, an AI company actually making a decision to do X rather than Y, mm. or a government deciding to look at A rather than B, or a, a rule or law being passed, or a you know, I mean, there's and that's what's actually just the bigger problem that no one's really solved is um just like how does ai governance actually work like where does it sit like institutionally what does it look like like is it ultimately to do with nation state regulation and law but it it, might it be something else um Mm. 
you know, uh, and that that's just, you know, China's taken one approach to AI regulation, Europe's taken another, America's taken a third, the UK is convening a summit because we don't know what to do. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's these these are questions bigger than bigger than uh the, my project obviously this this is one of the kind yeah. of global questions that we're trying to solve at the moment but yeah. but that's also a really important part of this project because if if it's just a talking shop then then it won't matter to people yeah. and if and if it doesn't matter to people they won't do it but if we can connect democratic signals into just i think just something a decision which matters then I think um, we'll we'll see this process continue to evolve. And the idea of the recursive public, by the way, just in case there are people yeah. that are kind of slightly confused about the name, is um, a, a public which kind of continues to form and to live and to kind of debate and to answer questions. So we want this to be something which doesn't go away. It's like actually a, we want it to grow as a community of people that, yeah. that all walks of life, anyone who um, care about AI governance and want to be part of debates about it. And then that's something we'll, which we'll then kind of create and and use. So we'll start asking, say, quest, live questions, which say AI engineers are currently thinking about, and try and use that public to respond to those. And obviously, yeah. use the agenda setting statements because that's what they're currently doing to try and drive the questions and thinking which happens within the companies at the same time. So yeah. that's that's yeah. the good idea. Whether it can solve QAnon. Probably not. Like I, I, I think when disagreement becomes actually the point, when when discord really becomes like the identity that people yeah. have, um, that then you know it's it's kind of then you don't have pe people need to enter into a consensus seeking debate actually wanting to try and find consensus. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you need to. Yeah, exactly. You need to want to uh, see the other person as opposed to just hate them and embrace your narrative uh, and as you said yeah, your identity I, I think that's that's important yeah yeah exactly and you know z zero sum um z zero sum contests are not going to be the sort of thing that uh that i think uh we will be able to um we'll be able to navigate through by trying to get people to you know uh kind of uh, If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and gain access to all of the episodes of The Voices of War, simply become a subscriber using the link in the show notes. As you know, I will not feature any ads on the show, which is made possible solely through the support of our subscribers. If you find value in the content, you can become one now.